Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our confession of sin this morning is from Proverbs 19, verse 12. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. This proverb announces a truth about the world. When a king is angry, the world takes note, and fear is the order of the day. His wrath is not idle, and as a lion's teeth are dangerous, so is a king's punishment. But kings are also capable of favor, and their blessing is refreshing, and their grace causes fruitfulness. Obviously, this means that it is wise for those who are under the king's authority to steer clear of his wrath and to seek his grace. Ultimately, this points to Jesus Christ. God has enthroned him above every people, tribe, land, nation, and king. As Psalm 2 puts it, the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God sent Jesus as a man that men could have a new king, a glorious king and a gracious king. But as long as sin exists in the world, our God's holiness will drive his wrath on the proud and wicked. But his grace and favor are available to the humble and penitent, which is why Psalm 2 leaves us with an exhortation to wisdom, much the same as our proverb this morning does. Now therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest you be angry, and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. But blessed are all those who, tr- who put their trust in him. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. If you're willing and able, please. Our text this morning is four verses long. Titus 3, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. But if you look closely, you'll notice that it is only one sentence. And the essence of that sentence is buried in the middle of verse 5. It is three little words. He saved us. He is a pronoun referring to God our Savior. All the rest of our text is explaining, expanding, or modifying those three little words. God saved us. And the result is that we are glorious, that Paul is gloriously teaching us what goes into that simple message. God saved us. And this is the message of Christmas in three little words. God saved us. This is the reason Christmas is a big deal. Why it is a high Sabbath in the church. God has sent his Savior, and we are saved. This is the justification for all of our celebrating, and our ancestors celebrating, and the shepherds celebrating, and the angels proclaiming the glory of God and announcing peace on earth and goodwill toward men. God saved us. So now let's look a little closer at what the rest of our text has to tell us about Christmas. 
In verse 4, God, uh, Paul tells us that when God, he tells us when God saves us. God saves us when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Paul's telling us that God saves us at Christmas time. When Jesus appeared, that's when the angels came to the shepherds and proclaimed good tidings of good news, great tidings of good news. Notice that what notice what is revealed. It's the, the that God is kind and that he loves men. The word for kind also intimates God's uprightness, his goodness. The concepts in English can be separated. We can have a nice person, a kind person, who isn't necessarily good or upright. They might have ulterior motives. But in, in the Greek, in this word, these word, these concepts are all bound up together. You can't be kind without being good, without being holy, without being up, upright. And God's love toward man says, but when the kindness and the love of God toward God our Savior toward man appeared, that that love is actually also includes the toward man. It's one word. And the word the word in Greek is philanthropia, which is where we get the English word philanthropy from. And it means a love toward mankind, a love of men. God has a love toward man. And this means that God looks outside of himself. God, God was complete in all eternity past and is complete in all eternity future. But God's completeness is, is a kind of completeness in that he is full of kindness and goodness and love, which bubbles over into creation. God didn't need us. He didn't need the world, but he created the world. And then men sinned and brought sin and death and destruction into the world. But God was so full of kindness and goodness and loveness and love that he bubbled over again and he manifested that love and that kindness to us again in our salvation, our recreation. And that's why God is our Savior. In fact, that's how God is defined in verse 4. The kindness and love of God our Savior. God is our Savior. And he reveals himself. He's not just a savior that doesn't care. He actually comes down to our level. He becomes a man. And he shows himself to the world. In verse 5 we see what this loving, kind God savior does. And we're told about how he does it. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So as we've already noted, the whole essence of the whole text this morning is He saves us. That's what that God does. The God that manifests Himself is He saves us. And He does it not by our works. It's not by anything good within us. It's not by the, us earning salvation. But it's by His mercy that this happens. God does the saving. And this is, all, this is all what we've been studying in Galatians. God does the saving. Men cannot save themselves. And he does it through two things. Both of them are the work of the Holy Spirit. First, the washing of regeneration. It's a rebirth. It's, it's Nicodemus. When God comes down, when Jesus comes and goes and sees Nicodemus at night, and he tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, how can I be saved? How can I enter the kingdom of God? 
And Jesus says, you must be born again. There, no, there must be a renewal, a regeneration. And, and so God created us originally. He created man out of a lump of clay and he breathed life into him. And now he's taking that man who he breathed life into, who threw it away, and he's breathing life into him again through the washing of regeneration. And, and he does it by baptism. When a Christian is baptized, he has a new name. He's a new creature. The baptism is into the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that baptism seals on that individual and binds upon him the promises of the gospel, the promises of Christ, the anointed one. It puts Jesus' name on that child. Now that child is a Christian. That new believer is a Christian. They are baptized. The washing of regeneration saves us because it is what cleanses us from our filthiness. Baptism signifies the generation that occurs when the Holy Spirit replaces our flinty, stony hearts with hearts of flesh and hearts of faith. And this is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. When God sends his Holy Spirit at Pentecost, when God calls men, fallen men, to follow Christ, that is what he's doing. He's sending his spirit into their hearts and changing that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And then that salvation is found and is represented in baptism. So what's the first thing that the disciples are commanded to do is, is it, when they convert believers is that believers are to believe and be baptized. But this salvation is found in connection with another work of the Holy Spirit. And that work is the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Renewing, again, new creation. It's all new. Now God is breathing a new life into man. And this is what we call sanctification. It's the life of faith. You're baptized into Christ. You step into a new world, a new life. And that life looks like something. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a life of faith. It's a continual death and resurrection. A continual confession and absolution. It's a life of worship. God has called us to be His people, which means we worship Him, we glorify Him, and we honor Him. And when we do that, when we do that like He calls us to do it, He gives us life. He blesses us. That life is fruitful, it's powerful, it has an effect on our lives and how, we're, how we walk. And in the process, we become new again and again and again. It's, it's the concept in The Last Battle of C.S. Lewis, where it's further up and further in. This life is never boring. It's never old. It's always more fresh and more new. It's more real. In verse 6, Paul describes the nature of our relationship with the Holy Spirit and the means by which that, that relationship is possible. Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. So he saves us through the work of the Holy Spirit, whom he pours out abundantly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God's goodness is overwhelming. And God's 
infinity means that man's cup runneth over. God's goodness is overwhelming because God is infinite and He's ultimate goodness. But because He's infinite, it means that we shall never be filled up with, with, we will always be filled up by His goodness. Man's cup runneth over. We can never contain all that God is or all that God has. And yet, even though His glory and His holiness is so great that it will consume us in judgment if we're, if we're tainted by sin, God's enabled us to participate in His life and yet survive that. That connection to a, a, an almighty God. We are abundantly supplied with His being. God doesn't just give us stuff. He gives us Himself. God gives us Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we have no lack. We have no reservoir of space. We, we cannot, if we try and hold back on, onto our own, if we're greedy, if, we're, if we won't let go, if we won't give it over to God, that's sin. Because God is the Lord of all of our life. He doesn't want just most of us. He doesn't want just a part of us. He doesn't want our Sunday mornings. He wants our whole week. He wants our whole month, our whole year, and our whole life. And the, the glorious thing in this is that as we give it to Him, He blesses it. And He gives it back to us, filled up, and pressed, you know, shaken down, pressed down, overflowing. He, you know, he says, test me and I will fill your storehouses to overflowing. You give it up to Him. Use it for His glory and He can bless it. So God is not stingy. God is he's not stingy. He gives us himself abundantly. And his grace and mercy came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, which is why we celebrate Christmas with the giving of gifts. Jesus Christ is our savior. All the stuff we've been talking about is Christmas. Merry Christmas. Celebrate. Have joy. Christmas is when the goodness and the philanthropy of God appeared toward man. In verse 7 we read that God's grace is effectual for making us righteous and recipients of the greatest promise ever. Verse 7 reads, That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. According to the hope of eternal life. This is the reversal of the curse that happened shortly after our creation. God created man and, and He created Adam and Eve and He gave them a beautiful and wonderful and glorious place to live. He gave them good work to do. He gave them blessing upon blessing upon blessing. He gave him one command. He said, he gave him lots and tons of grace. And he gave him one simple, don't eat of that tree. If you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And that's the one tree that Eve couldn't stop from being eating from. She was deceived by the, by the serpent. And ever since, man has suffered from death. Sin opened man's eyes to the fact that he was naked, that he was 
completely transparent before God, and God could see everything about them. And that sin bore fruit, and that fruit was that Adam eventually died, and Eve eventually died. The contact that Adam and Eve shared with God, that intimate relationship, was broken because of their unfaithfulness. They knew that they were not right with God any longer, so they hid in the garden. Ever since, man's problem has been the elusiveness of life. It just slips through your fingers. It's all a vapor. Ecclesiastes says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Solomon was the greatest, wisest king that ever lived, and he comes down to vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He had all the women he wanted. He had all the land he wanted. He had all the wealth he wanted. He sought, he sought, he sought salvation in, in partying. He sought it in, in working hard. He sought it in everything. He said, it's all vapor. Life is vapor. Because, because in the end, the same thing happens to men as happens to animals. They all die. What better is a wise man than a fool? They both die. Life is the ultimate pursuit of mankind. It's elusive, especially eternal life. But believers, ever since Adam and Eve had have, have had a hope of that life, that eternal life, God gave a promise to Adam and Eve, our first parents. He didn't wait until Jesus was born. He kept giving us hints all the way through. We have the Bible. It tells us It tells us the story of God's work in the world. And God tells us over and over again, I've got life for you. I've got blessing for you. There's a, we have reason to hope for eternal life. But Christmas is a celebration of the revelation of the free gift of God to mankind, and that gift is life. The next thing we shall see is that our text reveals... What our God is like. We looked at how, how Christmas is all through this text. Now we're going to look at who is God. And we'll find that God is a Trinitarian God. He's a, he's a Trinity. It's three persons and one God. And that's, therefore Christmas is, is, is a Trinitarian holiday. Our text reveals the Trinity. God's grace is the basis of salvation. But today's text reveals some details about who God is and how He works, and namely, in the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that God the Father has revealed His nature. God has shown us what He is like. He has, in, verse, in verses, five, uh, verses 4 and 5, we read, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. So He's kind and He loves us. And not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. So God is merciful. So God reveals His nature in that He is kind, He loves men, and He's merciful. God saves us. That's the work of the Father. In verse 6, we see that revelation is His Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. The Holy Spirit binds it upon us, that salvation, but His Son, the Holy Spirit comes to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ told the apostles to wait in Jerusalem for Him. 
because he would send his spirit to them. So Jesus is revealed as the Savior, and God is our Savior, so he sends us our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the salvation he provides is applied to us by the Holy Spirit, which we covered in verse 5. The Holy Spirit's work is to regenerate us, make our hearts new, and to renew us. And he's abundantly poured out on us. And we are the last ingredient in this mixture. Men, you and I, Christians, the Trinity, the ultimate God of all reality, the one who created heaven and earth, deals with men, with us. We are the recipients of God's grace, being justified by grace and made heirs of God. Which is what we studied in Galatians already also. We are God's heirs. We are heirs of God. We are heirs of the hope of eternal life. God is life. God is light. God is love. We receive those things from that God because that is who he is. God created us. Jesus died for us. And the Holy Spirit recreates us and upholds us. But all three of them love us. And in all of this, we see that Christmas is a biblical celebration. The Trinity is the God revealed in the Bible. God, who made heaven and earth, reveals himself in two ways. One, general revelation and creation. God reveals himself and how he works in the world. The laws of, of, of gravity and, and, and 2 plus 2 equal 4. Those are all revelations of who God is and how he works. But... He reveals himself specifically, pointedly, directly in his word. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that there is no excuse for sinners since God has implanted his image on our hearts and further he reveals himself in creation. Romans 1, 19 and 20. What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Sinners have no excuse to deny that God exists. It's clearly revealed. But the whole message of the Bible is to be found in the Christmas story. God created the heavens and the earth, but man sinned. So man, he needed a savior. God shows his grace and promises a redeemer by the seed of the woman. And God follows through at Christmas. That's why the New Testament starts with Christmas. Everything in this world is about God revealing himself to men. And this book has the message, and the message is Christ. Whose message is this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. The God of the Bible is benevolent and good. He's kind and generous. He has philanthropia. He loves men. He has goodwill toward men. He has Christotes. That's the, the word for kindness. That means he's good and kind. And, and, he, and that's what he's showing us in his work in the world. The philanthropy of God and his kindness are what the message of Christmas is all about. The reason we give gifts at Christmas is because God gives a gift at Christmas. He sent a little baby boy 
his only begotten son to a stable in Bethlehem. He sent Jesus to live, suffer, and die because he loved us. And because he wanted to do something for us that we were incapable of doing for ourselves. He wanted to save us from our self-inflicted, wretched state of sinfulness and death. He wanted to change our darkness to light and to draw us into himself. The only faithful response to this is imitation. Which is why we get Christmas philanthropy. Titus 3 verse 8 is the verse that immediately follows our text this morning. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Our God's agape love for us, His undeserved grace, His overwhelming generosity, when we receive these things, when we believe in the message of the Bible, when we get those, when we really understand it, and the God of the Bible, when He sends His Spirit into our hearts, when He binds all of this into real life, when He, when he works it out in, in our fingertips, when, when we do the things that we're convicted of because of our faith in our Lord, we, we have the tools that we need in order to imitate Him, to be like Him. We are called to follow Christ, our example. Paul tells us to imitate Him, because He is imitating Christ. We're supposed to be like Christ. God shows us how to be a philanthropist, how to love our fellow men. And remember, how did God love us? He loved us while we were yet sinners. God commands us to overcome evil with good. Which means that God's love towards men is not limited by who deserves it. It means that our neighbor love needs to be the same way. At the family get-together, we need to love the ones who are harder to love. That means the grumpy uncle and the screaming two-year-old nephew. The frazzled busybodies and the whiny baby. The annoyed teenagers. The snoring grandpa. God takes all of these sinners and makes them into a family. And we need to love them because they're our family. With God's blessing, sinners, us, we can be gracious like God is. Our God is gracious, so we need to be also. Our lives need to be characterized by grace and forgiveness. But Christmas is a great time to remember that and to go the extra mile. If you've been letting stuff get between yourself and your neighbor, if you have some unfinished business, take advantage of this season because there's no time like the present to make it right. In fact, the time you have is a present from God. And so don't waste your gift. Get right with your neighbor. Next, don't be a Scrooge. Be abundant. Be overwhelming in your generosity. Give till it hurts. And I'm not just talking about money here, though that is not in a, unimportant. What, what this means is we need to give self-sacrificially. Jesus gave that way. 
Jesus was frequently tired, sad, or grieved at the condition of those around him. But he continued to give, give, and give some more. He always had time for those who were considered lesser. He emptied himself of his deity to become a man so he could walk on the earth with men. He was ultimate God, and, and in comparison to him, we we're nothing. And yet he humbled himself. He always had time for those who were considered lesser. So that means we need to pay attention to the outcasts in our circles. And maybe you might miss out on some of the more interesting conversation. Or you might be inconvenienced by having to listen to Granny tell the same story for the sixth time. Or have to change the dirty diapers or wash the dishes. But God is honored by that kind of love. When you love self-sacrificially, God is honored by that. And that's the kind of love that He showers on us. And it glorifies Him. It glorifies God to love us self-sacrificially. He makes us into a greater... We are more than we were. So that when we glorify Him, every knee on heaven and earth will bow down to God. But when we do that, He builds us up so that we are more than we were before we did that. So that when we glorify God, then there's more glory going to God. And this is the, the kind of love that just builds and grows and there's no end to it. That's the kind of love God showers on us and it glorifies Him. So you may be surprised by what you find you'll see God doing in your life if you submit to His will and doing that also. Finally, don't taint your kindness with sin. The kindness of God is all tied up in His righteousness and His holiness. The ways that sin sneaks into Christmas are manifold. Greed takes many forms in the Christmas season. Consumerism, it's all about what you get. The green-eyed monster of envy, when you see what your sibling got, or hear what your friends received. Some people give in order to get, or to hold something over the recipient. You owe me one now, look what I gave you. Depression and despair, driven by a self-pity, can really drag your neighbors down. That's not kindness. Likewise, ungratefulness, discontent, or impatience can be problems at Christmas time. Theft is also a sin, so don't be a Grinch. Remember, at the end of Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian elders, he says, Remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, verse 35. What it all boils down to is this. God's grace cleanses. It does not pollute. So when you give, give willingly. Give open-heartedly. Give freely. God's grace cleanses. It does not pollute. Instead, it brings joy and it brings blessing. God's grace is grace indeed. God's gift is a gift indeed. It's true, good gift. Thus, our grace should be like His. 
our grace should do the same and cause others to have joy and blessing. Have a Merry Christmas. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. Today is Christmas, and today we celebrate the Incarnation, the birth of our Lord, when He humbled Himself and took on our flesh as His home. This is something we celebrate because it is good tidings of great joy. God has been faithful to the covenant promises He has given to our ancestors, starting all the way back with Adam. Men are sinners, and we deserve death and damnation, but God is gracious and merciful and kind. He has sent us a Savior, and He has redeemed us from the tyranny of Satan and the slavery of sin. This salvation is not limited the way the Old Testament Gospel was. No, this Gospel is for all people of all nations. Jesus' salvation is overwhelming in this sense. The prophecy states that righteousness will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And this is the work of God. But Jesus' salvation is overwhelming, not only in quantity, but also in quality. The salvation that Jesus brings makes saints out of sinners. The gospel breathes the life of God into the heart of a wretched humanity, so that believers can live like no one else, which means we can live in faith, hope, and love. When Jesus changes you, you are really changed. And now we come to Jesus for the life-changing power of His Holy Spirit as we partake of this meal in faith. And as a result of all this, we can sing with the angels, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.